talk a lot about perspective, voice, how those things form you as a filmmaker and how you utilize them to find success or get a career going and sustain it. But we don't often talk about how those things can be limiting and how you can expand beyond them and maintain your integrity and your point of view and who you are. I'm George Edelman, host of the No Film School podcast, editor-in-chief at No Film School. And today my guest is Sharian Dobbies. She is a filmmaker, actor, writer, multi-hyphenate, multi-talented, all of this at a very high level on projects such as most recently, which we're going to talk about today, Only Murders in the Building, Ozark, The L Word originally, uh, among others. And Sharian has a really interesting background. She, as she'll explain, is from multiple worlds, neither here nor there, kind of learning how those things commingle, bump up against each other and developing her perspective and her voice and how that sort of informed her as an artist and a filmmaker and all that good stuff that really helps identify you within the world, especially nowadays as everyone's looking for voices that are unique. But one of the things that's most interesting about what she has to say is how she's expanded beyond that and at the same time kept it with her. So she continues to have her perspective and her voice as she tackles projects that are not necessarily tied to her identity or her many identities. So with that, I'm moving on to Sharian. This is a really good chat about building your career, identifying who you are, and utilizing it as you grow. Thank you so much for coming. It's really cool to have you here. Thanks for having me. Of course. And besides for talking about Only Murders in the Building and other projects you've done recently, I kind of want to go back because you have a career path that will certainly be of interest to a lot of our listeners or anybody interested in the, in the craft. Because you, you, know, you started in the feature world. You made a feature mm-hmm. that went to Sundance. So you had that whole experience. I did. Kind of launched you. And you're, you're obviously a multi-hyphenate. So there's a lot of interesting things to talk about career-wise. And I kind of want to just start with, you know, with your own beginning, like what got you interested in, and motivated to be a filmmaker? Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, I think a number of things sort of came together. But one of the biggest ones being that, you know, I grew up Palestinian American in a small town in Ohio, feeling just very misunderstood and kind of out of place. And I also grew up kind of traveling back and forth between small town Ohio and Amman, Jordan, which is where a lot of my family, you know, lived and and currently lives. I was very used to the perspective of kind of being an outsider and that in a way that lent itself to sort of just observing things and like making note of things. And I, I started to kind of like write about like things that I saw and thought were funny because it kind of like my perspective was that of like, you know, the crossroads between two cultures, I, I, I found myself really kind of yeah. uh, looking for, in a, in a way, it was like my own identity crisis is what led me to filmmaking. So, you know, just trying to figure out who I was at, the, at this crossroads of like, you know, partly American, but not American enough, partly Arab, but not Arab enough. And then it was really the first Gulf War that actually became a huge turning point for me, you know, in this small town, my family went from, you know, being kind of like the friendly exotic people in town to being totally stereotyped and discriminated against and just um, kind of targeted 
during that first Gulf War, we, you know, my dad, he's, he was a doctor, his patients, like, like a bunch of people like left him because they didn't want to support an Arab doctor anymore. We got wow. death threats on a daily basis. And the secret service came to my high school to investigate a rumor that my older sister threatened to kill the president. Oh my God. Um, so lots of kooky things happened that made me stop and go, why is this happening? And what What's I discovered with everyone? When I, <laughs> What's wrong with the world? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I was you know, like, you're young at that. I was like 14, yeah. 13, 14. And it was just like such a moment of pause for me. Like what, what in the world is making these people who have known us for like a decade think that we are dangerous to them or a threat to them? And what I discovered was the power of the media and the power of film and television. And what I discovered was that there was no authentic portrayal of Arabs, uh, you know, I mean, let alone Palestinians. But, uh, you know, it was just really such an incredible dearth of anything authentic. And what was what was actually being portrayed was dangerous. And what mm -hmm. I realized was that people were believing those dangerous stereotypes. And that was what really drove me to become a storyteller was I was like, I, I, so I, someone's got to change that. Like, I want to change that. I want, I, I want to tell our story. I want to represent. And that was what drove me. Were you aware prior to these events and the way that like historical and sociopolitical events impacted your life? Were you aware that that depiction at all was, was lacking or was so one-sided because it, it was right, like, but or sure. were you you were super aware afterwards? Was and when you say media, my mind immediately went to news because of what we're being fed constantly. Once that happens, but also obviously movies and television, and every time you would see a Palestinian or somebody depicted a certain way across the board, like there would be no variance at all at that point in time in the early nineties, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I was definitely quite aware, but it was in the periphery. And I didn't think it really impacted my life until that first Gulf War experience. And, you know, the thing about being Palestinian is you can't not be political. Like from the moment you're born, you're born into a politics. And from the moment that you can answer any remote, like remotely political question, you're asked about the situation. Like the, the first question that you always get is like, well, what do you think of what's happening? So from as early as I can remember, I was being politicized and I was aware of the ways in which we were being portrayed and the horrible imbalance and the horrible one-sidedness of the way that the entire situation was portrayed. And what that resulted in from the time that I was a kid was simply this feeling that we weren't liked, this feeling that I personally was not going to be liked for being Palestinian. And this feeling of being a tremendous outcast and someone really on the margins, like not only did no one really know at all what Palestine was and, and you know, people doubted whether it even existed, but people really didn't like it. They didn't like the, the mention of it. And so it was a very intense environment to kind of be born into. And I, I was for so many years of my life rejecting the politics of it, like even rejecting the identity and it wasn't until mm. that first, even though I knew that it was one-sided, it was totally unjust and all of that. And it wasn't really until the first Gulf War that I realized whether I like it or not, I'm Arab. Like I, I'm being treated right now in a way I'm being racialized. I'm being stereotyped. I'm being discriminated against. This is total racism. And I started to embrace my Arab identity at that point. I didn't want to be American because I associated that with racism. <laughs> And, you know, yeah. this is like the mind of a teenager, um, kind of seeing things in, you know, sort of black and white, not seeing the nuances, but in small town Ohio, there weren't many nuances. Well, there not, are no nuances left anymore. 
now, right? That's for sure. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm-hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Have you ever wanted to watch something and it's just not available in your region? Have you ever been curious what UK Netflix or maybe some other country's version of some of the popular streamers has available that your local one doesn't? Well, there's something called NordVPN. And by using NordVPN, with the click of a button, you can access all kinds of content that maybe you didn't even know existed. With 5,000-plus server options, no show is out of your reach. So use my link, nordvpn.com forward slash nofilmschool, and you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge shows, But privacy is a big deal, too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted, so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. We all love watching and streaming all these shows, but we also care about our privacy. And NordVPN keeps your information encrypted, so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And they've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. So say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection will kick in and delete it before it makes a mess of your computer or whatever device you're using. So don't forget that there is actually no risk to you by trying this because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So give it a try. If you like it, great. If you don't, you get a full refund and you can pretend the whole thing never happened. Check out my link, nordvpn.com forward slash nofilmschool to get your subscription started today. You mentioned something that's fascinating to me too, which is that you were neither here nor there. That Mm -hmm. you said you weren't, you you didn't feel like you belonged. Once that happened, once the Gulf War happened, you were outsiderized and otherized here. But you also Mm -hmm. mentioned this idea of going back there to Jordan, I think you said, and feeling not quite, right there either, which is that kind of of neither world thing, which does create an awkward, like, it sounds like you tried to then embrace it. You were like, well, I'm going to pick one here. But still, how does that impact your, you know, the way you look at storytelling in general and your perspective, just like that, that feeling of maybe nobody really fully accepts me? Yeah, no, it's a really good question because I do think that it is precisely that in-between perspective that like naturally let like led me to filmmaking like led me to become an observer of human behavior and led me to make like to really like this outsider perspective where i could kind of comment on what was happening without necessarily being present in in what was happening 
so yeah, it was a very, I mean, it is interesting. Like in, in the US, I was known as like the Arab and in the Arab world. And, yeah, and you were known as the American. <laughs> I was known as the American. Yeah. And it was mostly Jordan, but it was also the West Bank that I grew up going to. And I mean, I started writing things down. I started, I think, you know, because I was able to really be a part of two cultures, but not fully fit into two cultures. I could get by in either one, but I was still on the periphery of both of them. So because of that, I was really able to kind of watch it. And, you know, the American in me would would look at the Arab culture and be like, oh, that's really funny. Like, how would you translate that into English? And I would Mm. look for the humor. And then the Arab in me would look at American culture and be like, why do they do it that way? Like, that's so funny. Like, that's so interesting and different. And, you know, and, and it was this desire to bring the two sides of my identity closer together that I think also lent itself to storytelling because I feel like I was always trying to show the other side, like, mm. oh, look at what we do over here. And like, you know, always trying to kind of show the Americans or, or like let the Americans know, like, we're not as backwards as they thought we were, you know, like mm-hmm. we would get questions all the time. Like, do they have phones in Jordan? Mm. You know, and it would be like, no, the jumbo jet lands in the middle of the desert and then we take camels <laughs> to our huts. You know, it's just, it's right. really, it was like this just really... Like just finding the humor in the lack of awareness on both sides yeah. and finding the humor in, in like, and, and kind of just good natured fun in kind of making fun of both sides, you know, like teaching my or, American friends Arabic curse words, <laughs> you know, just right. like. <laughs> or translating cultural translating. differences and being a person who exactly. stands between them and understands how narrative is sort of a form of translation, it sounds like. Exactly. And, you know, at some point I became really aware of the privilege that I grew up in be- having access to two very different places and different cultures and, you know, and then realizing that it was such a rich source of story for me to draw from. Did you... Begin to tell stories, obviously, with this perspective and this being a focal point. Like you said, I wanted to be a part of what brought some balance to this idea in media, you know, this idea of who I was or what I came from, and that it's not all, you know, these very thin stereotypes that are extremely negative. So that that seems like it was the prime mover, right? But Mm -hmm. then at a certain point, you kind of go into, well, I can tell all kinds of stories, right? You're just a person tell stories. It doesn't have to be about that. Can yeah. you talk about the interplay between those things as sort of like how those things kind of combine or or bump against each other or help each other? Because, you know, we hear a lot about, I think the reason I ask is everybody's told sort of like, find your filmmaking angle, your story, your voice. But then mm-hmm. on another side, people kind of just want to tell the stories that they find interesting is kind of the universal humanity, right? For absolutely, absolutely. And both are valid and, and yeah, hundred percent. Like, I, I love that you said, find your voice. Cause I remember hearing that so much, like just as yeah. I was getting started, you know, I, I, I did go to film school. So I heard that a lot there, but then as I was yeah. getting started, it was just always like, find your voice, find your voice. And, you know, on some level that means really embracing who you are and, and who you are is many things, you know, I'm Palestinian American, but I'm also queer and I'm also like a, a daughter and I'm also like a wife and I'm also like all these, just all these different identities and things wrapped up. And we have many stories and some of those things overlap and some of them don't. And um, we're also like full of contradiction. And But I think what I discovered for me was that I was, you know, I did sort of launch my career on the basis of like a story that was very much inspired by what, by what happened to my family in the first, yeah. during that first Gulf War. 
But then I did, as you say, really branch out. Even before that film, I branched out. I started, my first job was actually working as a writer on the original L Word for Showtime, which was like, you know, a seminal groundbreaking show for, for, (laughs) you know, for lesbians, but also for women. Like I remember, you know, straight women saying, I love that show. It's the only show I've ever seen where women don't need men. And it was like kind of groundbreaking. Talk about passing the Bechdel test, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So no, it, my wife, my wife has always loved that show, the original oh, really? and the current. Yeah, but it, but it's that show is a good example of what you were talking about. It, I, I want to say, destigmatized, but it's another example of where something yeah. happened where it was like, hey, this you can you can tell a story about this kind of person where they're just like a bunch of different kind of people. They're not exactly. that one version that we've seen a few times over and over again. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's what was was really interesting to me. But I felt like I was this kind of like ball of like walking contradictions. And so uh, what interested me about all of those different identities within myself was simply like, like kind of just wanting to be authentic, like wanting to tell authentic stories about like this version of who I am or that version or this, this group. And then it kind of became really like, I am really passionate about stories that we don't get to see, like telling stories about people who are normally underrepresented or misrepresented, like dangerously misrepresented, like the underdog in a way, you know, like, so from the L word to my own work, to even this episode of Only Murders, you know, I was really excited to work on this show the moment I heard who was in it. Like I grew up, you know, watching Steve Martin and Martin Short and these two comedy legends have like been making me laugh my whole life. And so I was excited like really excited about the opportunity to work with them. But then when the showrunner pitched me the particular one of the episodes that I was going to get to direct, so when he pitched me the particular block that they were offering me, I was so in because they were pitching me the perspective of a deaf character. And it, and it just felt like, yes, this is exactly the kind of work that I want to be putting out into the world. And you had a familiarity or like a mission statement of like, can I represent perspective? can I go out there and tell stories that show a different perspective, right? So it it felt naturally with, it worked out, right? (laughs) That it was a lot of like what you've done. That's another like Emrica, is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, Mm -hmm. so that that kind of like burst out, hit Sundance, won awards, got you like all kinds of like on the map, right? Mm -hmm. And that was like a closer to home sort of story. But it's interesting to track like, and I'm I'm very curious to hear about like what kind of happens that takes you from one place to another career-wise. But to go from that to be like, now I want to work with two comedy legends. Like, it's not about my personal story. I mean, it it worked out that it kind of was in a a way. But you (laughs) know what I mean? Like, you get to a place where you're like, it opens up opportunity and you're thinking about things you want to do that don't necessarily have to do with who you are or what what boxes you fit in and stuff stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that in a way, everything is a stepping stone. But also the great thing about episodic television directing is that, you know, very often it takes years and years to get a movie off the ground. And in the meantime, you can be flexing your directing muscles, you know, learning new things, working with people, finding your crew, you know, doing so many things that will only make you a better filmmaker, a better, you know, writer, director, actor, all of it. And so for me, working on something like Ozark, like to be able to watch Jason Bateman, who is unbelievable, like direct himself in the block right before I directed was amazing. Mm. And watching him, you know, watching he, like, you know, Jason and Laura Linney do their thing was like a masterclass in acting. Like there, there are so many reasons, different reasons why you, you know, kind of gravitate towards certain things. 
same thing with like watching two comedy legends, you know, as someone who I feel like I've, I've kind of developed a, um, I would say like, you know, you, you talk, you talked about finding your voice. And for me, I think that what I found, what I discovered about myself sort of through Amrika, um, was that my point of view was unique, especially as a Palestinian American, my point of view in finding the heart and humor in stories that can sometimes be heavier became a little bit of a signature for me, mm. especially again as a Palestinian, because most Palestinian stories you see are quite political and quite yeah. gay and quite, you know, which there's not know, a lot of laughs in the ones we see. Exactly. <laughs> in the ones it, that make it out. That's <laughs> that that kind of hit into the break through the noise. I'm sure there's plenty of comedy in every culture, right? But it's kind exactly. of like another stereotype. And I guess maybe, yeah, you got somewhere I, I didn't even know I was thinking, but yeah, it's like, can't you just do all kinds of stuff no matter who you are? Right. Exactly. Like, exactly. And, and you find, and and yeah. comedy coming out of that world is fascinating. And it's so needed. It's so needed. It's such a um, important survival mechanism. It's a really important survival mechanism within Palestine. I mean, I go there every time I visited there. I'm I'm like just amazed at the sense of humor that people have and their ability to use humor to just overcome their own suffering, their own daily whatever it is, trauma or anything. And I'm I'm so profoundly moved by that that I that that's mm. what I look to bring to the the stories that I tell personally, but also within the work that I do, I really gravitated towards comedy because I find it really healing. I, I actually mm. like I think comedians are just geniuses, and I think that often they 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 use comedy to veil these incredibly important and profound things that they're saying. I mean, you look at someone like George Carlin, whose comedy yeah. was just like really incredibly sharp and so relevant today more than ever. Yes. So, so to me, it makes perfect sense that I would gravitate towards these comedy legends and even work with comedians like Rami Youssef on his show, mm. which was so groundbreaking again for like the Arab American community for my own community and where it felt like I'm working in a TV environment, but it's, a little bit closer to home where, you know, it's like my culture, my language, a lot of actors I've worked with and, and actor friends who I've known for years. And so it was very much a world that felt like I was kind of getting back to my indie film roots, even though it was television. Can you, you mentioned something that's really interesting to dive into. I think that, you know, watching Bateman direct himself on Ozark before the block before you, and also you've acted, you write, like mm -hmm. you've done a lot of these different things at the high level. So, and acting in particular is such an ego crushing potentially field. So, but these all are right. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, like yeah. to watch other people do it great yeah. with all kinds of success and to internalize it and look at it from the perspective of this is a place to learn and, and mm -hmm. I get better here. How do you do that? Because for a lot of people, especially on the younger side, it's very hard to see this as anything but like a zero-sum game kind of where it's like, well, someone else is good, I must be bad, or I'm not mm -hmm. as good as that. Or instead of that, like, wow, that person's great, I can learn. You know, it's yeah. an opportunity as opposed to like a closed door. How do you re... Is that just the way you're configured or have you had to work on that? You know, I think that a lot... I think that confidence comes with experience and age. And I think that often when we're starting out, we're so insecure that we become defensive easily that we don't that we maybe we don't see opportunities for learning where they where they are where they're everywhere really and i do think that after making two features and getting into television that that definitely over time i became 
just much more open, much more willing to, I mean, I think there was always a certain amount of that. Like I know if I go back to like teachers in film school, I know people say, I remember one of them saying about me, like, yo, you were always a sponge, like just soaking everything up. So I do Mm. think that a certain amount of that was me or is me kind of approaching every situation, assuming there's something to learn because I I want, I, because I'm curious and I want to learn and I want to grow and I want to, you know, I want to contribute and I know I have a lot to contribute as well. But I think the more you feel secure in knowing that you have something to contribute, the more willing you are to also know that there's something to be learned in every situation. And in television, I think one of the things that I started, you know, TV, you know, I've been doing, I've been doing it for a while and I've also been developing my own work and it's taken me a very long time to get my next projects off the ground. And I'm very happy to say they're very close and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be making another movie soon and probably two in a row, which is great. Oh, but I awesome. also, I went through the pain of just it taking a really long time. And so the longer I worked in TV, though, the more I was like, okay, it's taking a long time. I'm going to, I'm, I'm learning. I'm here. I'm practicing my craft. I'm learning and I'm getting these amazing opportunities. And in each opportunity, I really, I almost always took away one big lesson. And it was amazing. Like with Bateman, for example, I went in and I was like, okay, I'm working with these like amazing actors. And, and Bateman is, you know, directing the block before me. I get to watch him direct himself. But I would say the biggest takeaway of working with Jason Bateman was seeing how much he does not take himself seriously in a really <laughs> amazing, inspiring way. Like he is That's always refreshing. laughing at himself. And it just creates this amazing environment on set where everyone's always laughing. And it, you know, it, it's just like, it was so great to see that and to, you know, and again, it's like, you have to have a lot of confidence to be able to laugh at yourself like that. So it's just something that you see when you start to get to work with people who do have that kind of level of confidence and experience and you see how humble they are and how willing they are to laugh at themselves and just, you know, again, just not ever, not, not take anything too seriously. And you, you mentioned like the, another huge lesson, like you just kind of dropped it in there, but like this idea of the waiting, hurry up and waiting and the Mm -hmm. process of like, I don't know when I'm going to get to do the thing I want to do. And it's been a while since I've done it. And what do I do in the meantime? And like, it's great to get, you know, open directing jobs. That's, that's awesome. Amazing quality shows and writing on them. But, Mm -hmm. but it's still sort of like this process of trying to figure out what you can do, how you can be effective. Can you, Talk to us a little bit just about that big process and and how you manage and navigate that sort of those in-between times, in-between gigs or the looking or the waiting. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I will say if you are, if, if, you're, if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you're queer, if you're telling stories that have like big elements of that, you're, you're maybe making a movie that's going to have actors that, you know, there's no role for any big star or... Definitely, if you're looking to do something that is unique, that is, you know, I guess what we would call like on the margins or about marginalized people, then it, it is always, it's going to be harder. It's it's going to be more of an uphill battle and it likely will take longer. Now, that doesn't mean it always will, but likely, generally speaking, you know, it, it really can. And in my experience, it has. And that can be tremendously frustrating. But, you know, I just think in this industry, like you have to really always be looking at like what you have and what you can do. And, you know, sometimes the fact that something takes longer is a gift. I mean, it sometimes it really means that you have more time to really refine it and really go back in. And, you know, I know with Enrica, for example, it took me 
five years to get that movie financed. And I remember at the time feeling so impatient and just really, really feeling ready to go. Mm. And I was so grateful that it took me that long because ultimately I found so many amazing solutions and and uh, revisions and jokes and things that I dropped in later, like as we got closer and closer to shooting, that had we shot a year or two prior, the film wouldn't have been as funny. It wouldn't have been as sharp. It wouldn't have been as tight. It wouldn't have been as good. And so I just think sometimes you, I mean, always, not even sometimes, just in life in general, we just have to look. I I think like I, that's my way of surviving is just like to really look at like here here's what I have in front of me like, like this is taking longer than I wanted but let me focus on you know the opportunities that I have and what I can learn and then how I can take what I've learned and then make what I'm working on better as a result of it or make how I lead my team on my own film or my own TV show in the future that much better. Yeah, finding opportunity in that time between instead of just the feeling the frustration but yeah it's five years is a long time but it's amazing to think about it from the perspective of it would have been worse if i didn't have that time exactly definitely um i guess you know just in wrapping up last thing i would ask is like i mean we've covered so much i wish we could talk more about some of the social and political things we touched on because that's so interesting but how do you stay true to as you navigate, it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of it, but like those goals, like doing things, making movies, telling stories that have an impact or matter beyond just, you know, in a, in a meaningful way. Cause it seems like that, that was what motivated you originally. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's still your North star. And this is a tough industry no matter what, but it's much tougher. I think if you're trying to stick to those particular guns, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that. I think you know, early in one's career, it's a little harder to do that, right? Because we don't always have choice and, you know, we have bills to pay and, you know, um, right. we've got responsibilities and, you know, maybe we aren't getting many offers. And so, you know, you kind of have to take what's in front of you. And sometimes that's okay. And those things are stepping stones. Ultimately, I think it is, you know, it, it can be a privilege to get to choose. And I, and, I, and I say that because there was a time when I didn't get to choose and I did have to kind of out of necessity take what was offered me. And luckily, I think because, you know, I'm a woman of color, I've always talked about like who like been very open about who I am as like a queer woman of color, you know, kind of proud, you know, Arab, Palestinian, American, passionate about telling these stories. So I think one way to do it is just to really be open about who you are and what you're passionate about. Because even when you're starting out, then I think that people will find you, the people who want your voice and need your voice and where like where your voice will be valuable, like they will find you. And I think that's important. Like, you know, so I ended up on like a, a show like Empire or, you know, like right. kind of more early on where, you know, after my features, after making, you know, features about people of color and families and, you know, um, was a network gig my my desire or my like what I really wanted? Like no, but it's still in a way that job <laughs> right. made sense. And and you know yes. I wasn't on it for very long, but it was a stepping stone, and and I got to direct you know a couple of episodes of that show. And then I think when you start getting into that place where you've worked long enough and people are starting to recognize your work, it's great because you know you know, they, they will come to you, like I said, because now that you've, you've kind of carved out a a niche for yourself and then you do have the privilege of choosing. And, 
it's really easy to get caught up in this industry, I think, sometimes and go like, oh, they want me on this thing. And oh, you know, and oh, what an amazing cast on that. And oh, this sounds like a great opportunity. But I have said no to a lot. I have really Mm. said no to a lot. And it wasn't always easy. Like there were moments where I wasn't sure saying no was the right thing. But I wanted, I'm just for me, it's really important. What I put out there is really important because I, I think that our culture and our world are moving in a direction that, you know, a lot of us are really unhappy with. And yeah. You know, things that we're becoming, it's becoming a more violent culture. It's becoming a more misogynistic culture. And I, I personally feel a great responsibility, not just to represent, but to put things out into the world that I feel are reflective of the kind of world I want to live in. I think that there has been a lot of entertainment out there that has caused a lot of harm to our culture and our society. I truly believe that. I think that we yeah. have to be responsible about what we put out there. And so I, that, I think that's part of the reason why I put a lot of weight into the decisions I make in, in kind of choosing what I want to be a part of and what I don't want to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an admirable quality. And I, I think that so much is a combination of, of what you're saying, that it's about what we put out and what the entertainment is. And there's a whole other layer of like what kind of audiences we're creating mm-hmm. and whether or not they're looking at things analytically or, or turning off that function and just accepting whatever it is as dogma, yes. which yeah. is often the case. So yeah. I think we have we have a du- dual-edged job in a lot of ways to kind of talk to people about what's created and why, and also be better about what we are creating and why, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's refreshing to hear somebody talk about it and, and sort of say like, I take it seriously and I'll say no if I have to, because I'm in an, I'm in a, you're in a unique position and uh, it's yeah. a unique opportunity. So you honor that, you know, that's very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely try to. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a lot of fun. It was a pleasure. Uh, Yeah. Happy to have you in the future too. When the, when the features are done, tell someone to reach out. Thank you so much. We'll have you back. I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Sharian, for coming on the podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. You can watch Only Murders on the Building. It's available on streaming platforms, as well as probably so many of the other things she's done. Be sure to check out stories like this and so many more at nofilmschool.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Check us out on Instagram and YouTube and all the other things like that that exist in the world. And please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. Let us know what you think. And email us your questions, editor at nofilmschool.com. We love hearing from you, even if it's not a question, if it's a comment, if it's a correction, if it's an idea, if it's a suggestion. We build so much of our content around what you're looking for, what you want to learn about, and what you have to offer. Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.